We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. So I was sitting on a bus on a, the way to Lake Havasu City for a wrestling tournament. 16 years old. Had my bag down here wedged in, the, in between the seats. And I was trying to fall asleep. It was about a three and a half hour, I think, drive. And then suddenly something just told me, hey, check your bag because your phone's ringing. My phone was on silent, so I had no reason to think that. I went, I reached for my bag, and I could start to feel the vibrations. So I, I reached and I grabbed hold of my phone, and something just told me that it was my youth leader calling me. So I turned it over, and on the little tiny screen on the front of the flip phone, it said Pam. Yes, it was a flip phone. A razor, by the way. It's fancy. So it was, it was who I thought it was. And then before I flipped it open, Something just told me she's going to ask you to do the sermon for the entire church. I flipped open the phone. Hey, Pam. Hey, Chris, you'll never know what just happened. I just got out of a meeting with the pastors, and they said, hey, could Chris maybe do that sermon he did for the youth group for the whole church? I had one of those moments where, like, I woke up in the middle of the night before that, and just felt like God was telling me something. And it was about, it was this like sermon about uh, evangelism, basically. And at that time, and I'm going to date myself here, at that time, um, actually a few years prior to that, that movie, The Sixth Sense came out, you know? And it was like that whole scene where the kid's like, I see dead people. It was like, at, at, during that season of the 90s, everyone was making their sermons tied to some kind of movie. And so that was like the title of I See Dead People. And it was like, they're walking around and they don't know they're dead. And we just got to tell them that there's life available to them, right? And so I did this thing for my youth group. And so anyway, now here we were and she's saying, they want you to do that for the whole church. And that was not something my church had a habit of doing. They didn't. Uh, in fact, the youth building had a whole separate building clear across the other side of campus. And we almost had like our own little church thing going over there. But they invited me to do that. It was four services, one Saturday night, three Sunday morning, about 2,500 people. And now here I am today, speaking with 10. Anyway, God's got a fun sense of humor. And so I was like, all right, let's do it. I I did not, I barely spoke a word in front of my own family each week. But God prepared me in that moment. This is what this is going to be. I want you to say yes. That doesn't happen to me often, but it happened then. So I said, yes, let's do this. And I went in the first service, Saturday night, super nervous. They had planned jokes for me. They like prepared for me. Like, this is when you close your eyes for a moment and get real serious. You know, like this is when you come down off the stage and walk around the front. And so it just feels more intimate. And I didn't even understand like half the jokes they gave me to, to tell. I was like, all right, I'll do it. So they, they, they worked over the whole sermon as a, you know, make a church kind of feel. So I go and I do this Saturday night and I'm done and I'm outside in the lobby talking with people as they're walking out and this lady comes up to me. Now, I don't know how old she was. I was 16 at the time, right? Uh, to me, she could have been 
40 or 70 or 20. It didn't matter. I just knew she was a grown-up. And she comes up to me, and she's crying. And she says, I, I grew up in the church. I believe I got saved when I was younger, but I've really been just walking away from the Lord lately. And something told me I needed to be here tonight. And as I was here, I just really felt like the Spirit telling me, I need, to, I need to be serious about my relationship with God. I need to move out of my boyfriend's apartment and I need to be discipled. And she's looking at me, a 16-year-old kid, and I'm going, I can't help you there. <laughs> Hold on a second. Hold that thought, I'll be right back. And so I rush over and I go find the senior pastor and the associate pastor who had helped me with my whole teaching. And I'm like, hey, this is what happened. I tell them the whole story. And the senior pastor looks at me and he goes, a lot of people say they're gonna change after a teaching. They never do. And he turned around and walked away from me. And I was like, are you kidding me? This lady is saying she wants to be discipled. And you're just gonna walk away from that. And I decided right then, I will never be a pastor. Again, here we are, right? God's got a good sense of humor. I will never be a pastor because if that's how jaded you get from working within the church, I want no part of that. It didn't make me wrestle with my faith or anything like that. I decided I wanted to find ways to serve and love people outside of the church and tell them about who Jesus is. Uh, But this idea of the church, I, I don't know. I'll go, right? I'll go to church on Sundays but I, I don't want any part of that. And over time, that, that started uh, forcing this idea into my head too, that like the church is just all about itself. That the church is insular. It's, it's focused on how do we keep these programs going so we can get more people into the seats? And how do we keep from losing people from these seats? And how do we make sure that we have the best kids program? And how do we make sure we have the best music? And how do we make sure that we have the right speaker up there? And how do we make sure that, and we got to keep all these cogs and wheels spinning. Otherwise, this thing we've built will fall apart. And somehow along the way, forgot that Jesus is the one who built his church. And it's less like a machine, but more like a building made of people. I don't mean a building with people inside. I mean that we are called in scripture, the living stones that he's building his home for, that he's the one inside. Does that make sense? And he's the one building it. And what he's doing is calling us to come be a part of him and calling us to invite others to join us in that. And somewhere along the way, God finally got my attention again. Say, listen, listen. The church is always meant to be for the sake of other people. What what you have seen in one setting is not what I have built and is not what I've called my people to. And he started giving me a reality check and a vision for how actually the church can be outward focused and inward caring at the same time uh, as we're rooted and deeply formed by him. And not just a vision for that, like, oh, it, it, it can be done. Like we can do something that has been, no, no, no. How he started showing me he's been doing that all over the globe in lots of different communities. 
And he's asking me to be a small part of it, just like he's asking each of you to be a small part of it. And so being part of this community of Missio Day has been an experience of really kind of the antithesis of what I just shared from my 16-year-old experience um, in more ways than one, but mostly in some beautiful ways of seeing how a very small community of people can still be used by God in extraordinary ways to love other people outside of this building. And that's what he has always intended for us. When a church actually becomes very inward focused and insular and just about keeping the lights on in the building, it will eventually fall apart. Because what you start losing there is the presence of God. And you start losing there is the joy of having actual purpose in God's plan. There's this TV show that was out a while ago uh, called The Good Life. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you haven't seen it, it's old. So spoiler alert right now, okay? Um, But it's been out for a while. You had your chance. So the idea is they die. These people are dead and they think they're in the good place. There's the good place and there's the bad place, you know? Like that's their language. And they think they're in the good place and they realize they've been deceived. It's actually the bad place and they're being tormented. And then they are on this journey now, this quest to like get out of the bad place and somehow sneak their way up into the good place. Well, they finally end up making it up there and then they realize people are just kind of depressed because there's nothing to do. Like they could, they have everything at their fingertips, all the joys and comforts you could imagine, but they don't have a job. They have no purpose. And their solution at the end of the show is actually really tragic. It's like, well, you know what? Let's just give them an opportunity to not exist anymore. Just to like off themselves again, basically. Uh, So they don't have to live in eternity. Like let them experience whatever they want as long as they want. And when they decide, they're just done. But that's not the story of the Bible. That's not the story of our faith. That's not the story of reality. God created us with a purpose. Even before sin entered the world, God had work for humans to do. And there will be purpose for us when the whole thing is restored one day too. Turn with me to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, when God says, let us make man in our image. And so he creates male and female in the image of God, to be united as one, formed by him, to be his representatives. He gives them a purpose. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, this is the man and the woman he's saying this to, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. They had dominion, authority, Uh, a power in a sense given to them by God, but they had a job to do too. He says to fill the earth and subdue it. In essence, take this little garden plot that God started here. And you know how outside of it, there's wild and waste. Extend what God started here. The, The seeds of potential that God put in the garden right there in this beautiful home he made for them. God didn't call them just to sit still in that garden and to hang out and pluck 
fruit from trees whenever they were hungry and just lie about in the meadow and like splash around in the river and just enjoy it. Just do that forever. Why couldn't they just do that forever, right? No, he called them to take what God started there and extend it, fill the whole earth with God's goodness, with the potential that he put there in the garden. Is that what happened? They did multiply. They did fill the earth, right? But not with the goodness that God put in the garden. Instead, as they multiplied, they filled the earth with rebellion and with violence and with oppression. So God, as we recited through our liturgy, he didn't stop there. He gave a promise that one day he would make things right again. That even though humans who were supposed to fill the earth with God's goodness were now filling it with sin, that God would come and fill the human heart with his goodness once again. The seed of potential put back into humanity. So God comes down in the form of human. He fully immerses himself in humanity. This is why Jesus goes to get baptized. He's being immersed in the identity of humanity that they needed to be cleaned. Jesus didn't need to be cleaned, but he fully takes on the condition of humanity so that as we follow him, as we trust in him, as we are immersed in him and baptized and covered in him, we can now fully take on the righteousness of God. And once again, take on the role that God gave to humanity in the very beginning to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it. The first two humans were formed by God, like quite literally, made to be together as one, even though they were two distinct people, for the sake of all of the world. For the sake of all of creation, they were to care for the animals. They were to tend to the garden. They were to fill the whole earth. God's people, Israel, were called to that task. They were made a nation formed by God and how he had saved them and rescued them out of Egypt, formed together as one community for the sake of the nations. God told Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. Jesus formed his disciples. He called them together. He formed them. He taught them. And he made them a community, as we said earlier, for the sake of the whole world around them. He didn't just call them to come and sit with him, right? Just come and sit and hear my teachings. And I'll I'll just keep making bread, multiply, and we'll have all the food we need. And it's going to be a paradise right here in our little camp. Jesus was constantly sending them out to invite others in and to invite the people they did not want in, right? He takes them to Samaria, a town filled with people they hated and they thought were unclean. And he starts spreading the good news of the kingdom there. He takes them to lepers, a disease that nobody wanted so they stayed far away from. And he invited them into that work of sitting with them and being present and healing them and giving them good news. He takes them to sit down with both Pharisees, the religious leaders, and prostitutes and tax collectors and all the people they would have never wanted to associate with. 
even Romans sometimes. And he said that this will be for all of the Gentiles. That means all of the nations. So when we get to Romans 12, verses one and two, which we've been reading the last few weeks of January, and Paul writes this after going through the whole story of the gospel for like 10 chapters. He says, therefore, because of what God has done for us through Jesus, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We've been unpacking those two verses for the last couple of weeks. Uh, and so I'm not gonna get into every detail of it, every nook and cranny of that right now. But what I want us to see in that is that presenting our whole selves as a living sacrifice to God being our true spiritual worship uh, may, mean, may mean that in the mornings when we rise, we pray and we read our Bible, right? It, or that we, we love our families and our household well, that, that we show up at 9 a.m., not 9.15, on Sunday mornings to gather with a community of people, right? It, those are all part of that. But again, did God call them to sit in a little unique paradise on their own. No, no, present your whole selves as a living sacrifice. I will do the things even I don't want to do. I will die to my flesh daily and I will step outside of my comfort and I will go and serve the lost, the lonely, and the left out like Jesus did. Because Jesus wasn't born into a little small paradise, Eden. He was born into a poor family and a poor part of town who was on the run from the king. And, and when he went and gave the good news, he most often went to those who were sick and left out, those who were poor and oppressed. And the rich people, the affluent people, the wealthy people, they came and followed him there because they heard what was going on. So his, his message was for all the people, but he went to those who no one else wanted to go to first. How do we emulate Jesus in that? How do we present our whole self as a living sacrifice to the one who gave his life as a sacrifice for you and I? And I think Paul and Peter probably had conversations about this at times. Uh, they shared the same view and they were in ministry together. And this is what Peter says. He reminds us, Paul, who was speaking primarily to Gentiles, said it a different way, people who were not Jewish people. Peter, who spoke primarily to those who grew up Jewish, was reminding them that this has been your call all throughout your history. In 1 Peter chapter 2, I'll read verses 9 through 12, actually. Peter's talking to Jewish people. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Wait, why did God choose us as a people? Let's pretend we're all Jews here. Why did God choose us as a people? So that we could enjoy the goodness of God and just sit and relax in that, right? No, no, no. Yes, enjoy the goodness of God. And so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you. So that people would hear that and know that. Once you were not a people, 
Remember where you came from. You're no better or different than anyone else. Once you were not a people either. And so you need to proclaim God's praises to those who still need to be brought in as his people. Because once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. He's saying, as you live among the people of this world, you're called to proclaim the good news of the one who showed you light, not to give into their ways of darkness. We are to live amongst other people who need the good news, not giving into the ways of life that they have though. And he says this, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and glorify God on the day he visits. Do you see the whole purpose of everything he's calling them to is so that they will see the goodness of God. Now, two little uh, Greek things I wanna give us right now. Earlier, when, Paul, when Peter called them a, a holy chosen race, a chosen nation, that word there is ethnos. Now, when Peter's saying, live honorably among the Gentiles so they'll know who God is, that word there is ethnos. It's the same exact word in the Greek. It's a word that's often just translated to nations. You are a called out nation. You are a called out people group. You are a called out ethnos by God so that the nations, the people groups, the ethnos would know God as well. It's not that you are a called out nation set apart from and against the other nations who are different from you. No, remember where you came from. You you were not a people once. No, it's that you are a set apart, called out people for the sake of the other people. You are a called out nation for the sake of the nations. It's the same word reminding us that we are all the same. We're all in the same boat. We're all in need of God's loving grace to come and rescue us. And so when God calls us, he doesn't call us to go sit in our little Edens or to sit in our little church buildings, but he calls us for the sake of the world that all people, all nations, all ethnos would come and see that God is good. That was the purpose given to the man and the woman in the very beginning that they would represent what God's like so all creation would see the goodness of God. It's still our call today and it will be forever and eternity even when he restores all things. We'll still have a job to do and it will be to display the goodness of God for the sake of the whole world. It's a big call. Hopefully you're feeling you can't do that on your own. Hopefully we also feel we can't just do that on our own together. We need one another, but more importantly, we need the spirit of God and his presence here with us. Amen. And, and listen, Missio Phoenix right here, we're not going to go out and save the whole world. God's the one who does the saving, but he has called us to this specific place in this specific time for a reason, for the sake of Phoenix. Okay, let's just make it manageable. For the sake of the city, the community, the neighborhood that he's placed you in, so that 
our neighbors, not our enemies. Love your enemies as your neighbors. Love your neighbors as yourselves, right? So the teachings of Jesus. So that your neighbors, let's use the same word, our ethnos would come be part of this ethnos. That our people in our communities would come be part of the people of God. Let's pray.